God's blessing, God's spiritual nourishment always follows obedience to what He's already revealed. So let's pick up our story in 1 Kings 17. We'll begin from verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Then when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make you something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Gracious Father, just as the flour and the oil did not run out, we trust your word will never run out, for your word will never fade. Your word is not like the grass that fades. It is not like the flower that dies. Your word remains forever. And so, Lord, we trust in that. We don't trust in flour. We don't trust in oil. We trust in your word. Bring your word to us in never-ending supply and do this for the glory of the one about whom your word is written, your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So this is a well-known episode, isn't it? We remember this from all the Sunday school classes, the, the jar of flour that never ran out, the jar of oil that never ran out, um, we remember this story because it's, it, it's such a wonderful story to sort of relate to. This idea that God supernaturally takes a little bit and causes it to never run out, or at least not until it needs to run out, or until it's time to run out. It reminds me of a story that I read. There's lots of stories that are sort of along the same vein, but it reminds me of the story of Corey Ten Boom. If you read the, the Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, who is along with her sister in the concentration camp at Ravenscroft, uh, Ravensbrook, and they are there. They're malnourished. They're, there's hundreds and hundreds of women in this concentration camp, and none of them are getting enough to eat. And her sister has a little small bottle of liquid form vitamins. And so, what do you do when you're in a concentration camp and you're starving to death and you have some vitamins? You keep them to yourself, right? No, she shared them with everyone, all the women in the barracks. But it was this small little bottle. And miraculously, the bottle never ran out. 
Every night, night after night, these starving women would come with a little spoon and she'd give them a serving of vitamins and they would take it and the next day there was more in there until it needed to run out. So it reminds me of stories like that or, or other stories in the Scripture of God miraculously providing from a little bit to last a long time. Like the Israel, Israelite shoes as they were wandering in the wilderness and their shoes never wore out. Or, of course, we think of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and then later the feeding of the 4,000 as these just handful of loaves and fishes are multiplied to take care of the needs of so many. So it's this common theme that we read about in Scripture, this idea of a little bit supernaturally providing for a lot. But what do we need to see in the story today? What I see in this story is one of Scripture's clearest presentations of the multifaceted, supernatural working of God in many different ways. So in this story, God is doing a whole bunch of different things. And He's doing them all, of course, supernaturally. And we know that that's how He works. We know that God is not single-tasked, He's multitasked. And God is is omnipotent, uh, all-wise, all-knowing. God is doing millions of things in millions of lives simultaneously. We know that to be true. However, this is one of those places in Scripture where it just really becomes obvious that God's doing a lot of different things. So that's how we're going to look at this story today is through the lens of all these things that God is performing supernaturally and lots of different people for lots of different purposes. And that'll, that'll sort of guide us through the passage. So let's begin just by diving in to see that the first thing that God's doing is God is continuing His famine of the Word. The famine of the Word is this, that Elijah is commanded to get up from the, the brook Cherith to leave and to go to a place named Zarephath, which is on the other side of Israel. That's going to be a journey of, of anywhere I've read from 75 miles to 125 miles because we don't know where the brook Cherith was. We know where Sidon was, but we don't know where the brook was. And so we don't exactly know how long of a journey it was, but it was at least 75 miles at the minimum, maybe as much as 125 miles or even more. So there's this tremendous journey, all of it traversing through the land of Israel. And not a word that Elijah is recorded of speaking to anyone. The word is still silent. There's still this famine of the word. The famine of the word is resting on the nation of Israel. God is saying to them, you've not listened to what I've said up until this point, so I'm not going to continue talking. There's this famine of the word that God is continuing to pour out one of the most frightful judgments that God has for His people continues. So God is still working in Israel. We sort of wonder what's going on in Israel right now. We wonder about the conversations that are taking place between Ahab and Jezebel and all their priests who can't bring rain. and Everybody's getting thirstier and hungrier and the crops have failed. So we wonder what's going on there, but the story is telling us that God is still presenting His judgment to them. So we'll uh, quickly move on to the second one. Also, God is not only continuing this famine of the Word, but God is flaunting His power over false deities. So he takes Elijah and he says to Elijah, I want you to go to this place called Zarephath. Now, if we look in our Bibles, we see that Zarephath is, we're told in verse uh, 8 or 9 there, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. So Zarephath is a place, it's a, it's a town, a city, in the area known as Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon were the two principal places the two principal areas or cities, you might call them, in a place called Phoenicia. Now, those two areas are the central uh, stronghold of Baal worship. 
And Elijah is commanded to go here to this place in Sidon. If we look back in our Bibles, we look back to chapter 16. And here we find some information about Ahab. Verse 30 of chapter 16. This is right before the story begins in chapter 17. And Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than any who were before him. And as if it had not been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabar, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of, here it is, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidons. So Elijah is commanded to go to, number one, the stronghold of Baal worship. Number two, the hometown of Jezebel, whom he has just declared himself to be the open enemy of. And number three, he's commanded to go to the place where Jezebel's father, a man whose very name is Baal, Ethbaal, whose uh, Jezebel's father is what? King. So here is Elijah, the bringer of the, the drought. His name is famous in all the land because Zarephath, Phoenicia, they are also suffering from the drought as we're going to see as we go on. And Elijah is commanded not just to go to Gentile land, not just to go to the, to the home front of Baal worship, but to the hometown of Jezebel where her father is king. Now, have you ever known what it's like to oppose a powerful father by opposing his daughter? Not a good place to be. In Sidon, nobody outrules uh, Ethbaal. He's king, and here is where Elijah is commanded to go. It is just like God is, is just flaunting to Baal. What, you can't bring rain? Guess what? I'm going to send my drought maker into your hometown. If there's one place in the world where Baal should be able to bring rain, it's there. And so God is going to send His drought maker into the heart, into the, did the eye of the storm, so to speak. God is flaunting with them His power and their impotence. So that's the second thing we see. God is flaunting His power over false deities. Number three, we see this. God is demonstrating that spiritual nourishment always follows, never precedes, obedience to what is revealed. Spiritual nourishment always follows Obedience to what is revealed never precedes. Here's what we mean by that. Notice how in the story, three times the same thing happens. God says something, His words are obeyed, and then nourishment comes. So God says to Elijah, go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Ravens come. Then God says to Elijah, go to Zarephath. He obeys, and then there's the widow. God says to the widow, feed my prophet, and then guess what? The flour and the oil never run out. Three times. You can't miss that. God is drilling at home. Obey what has been revealed and spiritual nourishment follows. Okay, So we're not going to dwell on this point too much. We're moving quickly to the first, first few because we really touched on this rather heavily this past Thursday. So we're just going to observe it, recognize it, and sort of move on from there. But the point here is this. God's, God's blessing, God's spiritual nourishment always follows obedience to what He's already revealed. So often in our life, we want to hear from God. And we feel like God is silent, God is dry, He's not speaking to us. And the first thing that we should do is we should look back and say, well, have I done what He's already shown me? 
Has God revealed something in my life that I need to address, that I need to repent of, that I need to work on, and I've not addressed it, but yet I'm asking Him to do something more, to show me something more, to help me in some other way. Oftentimes, we feel like that God is in that time of drought, of, of, not, of withdrawing and not speaking to us, and we think, well, God's testing me, God's growing me, and He may, and he may well be, but sometimes it means that He's already spoken to you, and you haven't acted on it. And now you're asking for something more, and he's saying, well, I need you to address what I've already shown you, and then we'll talk about the next thing. So we see this in Elijah two times. We see it in the widow. They obey what God shows them, and then God moves on to the next thing. Okay. So again, we spent some time on that recently. We won't rehash all of it now. We'll continue on. Okay. So the fourth thing that we see is this. God trains, shapes, and molds His servant... By the furnace of difficulty, uncertainty, non-understanding, and dependence. That's a mouthful. Let me say it again. God trains and shapes and molds His servant. And He does this by the furnace. The furnace of difficulty, uncertainty, non-understanding, and dependence. So here, Elijah is commanded to go to this place named Zarephath. Now, we saw the significance of the name Cherith. The brook Cherith means cut off. Zarephath means furnace. Oftentimes in the Bible, names have spiritual significance, spiritual meaning. And here's another case where we see that. Zarephath means furnace. You remember in the story through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, all through the story of Israel's history, you remember how their neighbors were sort of one step ahead of them in metalworking? And the Israelites were always sort of behind. They were the ones who, who uh, had the brass when their neighbors had the steel. They were the ones who had the rocks when their neighbors had brass. You know, they were always sort of one step behind. So it's been speculated that maybe this place, Zarephath, was known as a smelting place, a place where metal was worked. But whatever the case may be, the name literally means furnace, and this is a furnace for Elijah. In what way is this going to be a furnace? In many ways. First of all, think about the information that Elijah is not given. He's told what? Go to Zarephath. There's a widow who's going to feed you. Well, which one? What does she look like? What is her name? How is she going to recognize me? What do I say to her? Is she ready to feed me? All... All these things that God doesn't say to Elijah. All he says is go to a place and there's a widow there. We just observed the supper and we all know the story of how the supper was instituted when when Jesus says to Peter and John, go into the town. There's a man carrying a jar of water. He's going to meet you. Not a name, just just that. And so we see how this, this test, this furnace, is that Elijah is walking a hundred miles. You ever walked a hundred miles? He's walking a hundred miles, not even knowing the name of the person he's going to find. Not knowing what she looks like. Is she young, old, nothing. The way in which she's going to support him. She's a widow. Widows in this culture were the destitute of the destitute. Widows were two things. If you were a widow in this culture, you were either a prostitute or you were a beggar, depending on your age. That's just what widows were. If you did not have a husband or a father to care for your needs, then that's what you were. So it's like God saying to Elijah, I want you to go 
And the most destitute place of the land is going to be your provider. Now, God has this repeated focus in His Word on widows, doesn't He? Widows, widows. You read through, especially the Old Testament. New Testament too. You read through Scripture and you find widow after widow after widow after widow. And what does God say? He's making a point about destitute people, about ostracized people. But He's also making a point to His people, you are going to be a people who care for widows. So God had to institute this and He had to repeat it over and over. You are going to be a people who care for widows. But Elijah's not going to Israel. Elijah's in Gentile territory. This is the destitute of the destitute of the destitute. We talked this past Thursday night about a homeless family who found themselves homeless because they were in a house that's been condemned and uh, we're trying to help them. And, and so there's this family that's homeless and everything. What a destitute situation, right? It's destitute enough to be a homeless individual, to be a homeless family. Wow. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like maybe you, you get laid off at work. And, you know, you, you, you don't want to cut too much into your savings, but, you know, things are getting tight and everything. You're looking for work and nothing's really come through yet. And you're sort of having to tighten your financial belt a little bit. And God says, I'm going to provide for you. Go find that homeless family. And you're like, what? They're going to provide for me? You know, Elijah's been eating twice a day. Bread and meat, which was a luxury in these days. And God says to him, go to Gentile territory and find the most ostracized, destitute person there. There's your provider. So all of the questions, the danger, this is again, Baal's home turf. This is uh, going into the king of Baal, who his very name is Baal. This makes no sense. This makes no sense whatsoever. This this confrontation that he's going to have, this provider that is is no real provider, uh, this situation in Israel that he's got to walk through, he's got to pass a hundred miles through Israel when he is the one who has proclaimed this drought. Israel has, has been in the drought probably about a year now, and it's like everything is a tinderbox, and Elijah is the match. And God just says to him, just, just go there. This is a furnace. This is a furnace. You're not going to understand this. This is not going to make sense to you. But I've prepared someone there. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.